0: We've got a little heading there for Colossians 3, uh, Rules for Holy Living. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thanks, Lord, for this your word. Thanks to our speaker.
1: Good morning. It's nice to be here. Nice spot, Evan's head. So I'll just find... uh, Here we go. I might just pray before we get into it. Just um, have a word with God, so I might just pray for us. Uh, Dear Lord, thanks for giving us us your word. And Lord, please soften our hearts uh, to understand it and to apply it to our lives. And Lord... Yeah, please help me to give it clearly. Amen. Well, how do you respond to good news? Are you one of those people that gets really excited and can't contain themselves? Or are you one of those people who just go with the flow, the cool, calm and collected type? Or are you somewhere in between? I was thinking about it myself and as a few memories started coming back, I realised I'm a person who tends to respond to good news by having brain snaps. Here's just a few examples. When I got my P-plate licence, I was very excited, and I drove like an excited person drives. But it took two car crashes in a short amount of time to learn that I wasn't as hot behind the wheel as I thought I was, and you have to slow down on the road. Well, that was the last day uh, of Year 12. We had a big warning. There was to be no muck-up day whatsoever. But something inside my brain decided that it would be a good idea to bring a few boxes of crackers to school. (laughs) And the problem was it got into the hands of the year 8, 9, 10, 11 and 12 boys. And the principal wasn't too pleased with this and I really did go out with a bang. (laughs) Well, there was this time I worked at a nursery for a year full time and I had one week left. And you know, I thought as a bit of a parting gift, it'd be a good idea to engrave a giant cross and my initials into a big gum tree that stood beside the highway. But the problem was when the boss drove in the driveway and saw it, he didn't he wasn't a Christian and he didn't really share the same appreciation for my artwork. See I look back on how my responses have been, and when I get excited, I tend to lose that part of my brain that says, that's probably not a good idea. Well, today as we look at Colossians chapter 3, it's a very practical passage, uh, practical in how we should respond to Jesus and how when you accept that his death and rising pays for your sin, how you're meant to live. I think before we jump into the passage here at Colossians 3, it would be really helpful to have a look at what's happened up to this point in the book of Colossians. Uh, It just gives us a bit more context. So if you'll bear with me, we'll have a look. At the start of Colossians, Paul starts by telling uh, the church that they're doing pretty well. They're very encouraging to Paul and his mates. In chapter 1, verse 3, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and of the love you have for all the saints. In the second half of chapter 1, Paul reminds them of the greatness of Christ and the gospel that they actually believe. From verse 21. Once you were alienated by God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he, that's God, reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. See the Colossians, they're on the ball. But they also need a bit of a reminder. Paul's got something to say to them. From chapter 2 verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? See, there's a few people here at this church that have taken the spotlight off Christ and are shifting their efforts into things like keeping the laws and traditions. But Paul's reminding that to focus their efforts on anything but Christ is a bit dangerous. So now we're here, we're here at chapter 3. And I really think chapter 3 in a lot of ways it's kind of the climax of the book. See, Paul's already reminded them of who Christ is and what he's done. Now he's cranking the heat up to really drive home what type of life they need to live now they trust in Jesus. Would you look at chapter 3 verse 1 with me? Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So giving this passage a lot of thought, and I'm sure that the path these Christians at cloths are going down is the same temptation, mind you a very subtle temptation, that's still ripe in Christians now. It's this temptation of setting our hearts on things that we can see and we can feel now, and not having our hearts set 100% on things to come not living that with our whole life. You know, it's like this. A life lived by the Ten Commandments is a much more straightforward life than this idea of keeping our hearts and our hope on something that really seems so far away sometimes. I mean, it's a lot easier to set your hearts on this world than the things above. I mean, to the non-Christian, this concept of setting your minds on other things, it's crazy. They don't understand it. I mean, life's here to be lived today, isn't it? See, if you're not someone who understands that you and this world are corrupt and that in Jesus comes love and hope, you won't understand this passage. And for that matter, you don't really understand the whole Bible. You and I need to understand what's going on and your thoughts need to be on things above. But I mean, even as Christians, we still need reminding, don't we? We need reminding that we've been raised with Christ. We've been lifted up from the ways of this world. We've been freed from rules and living by regulations. We've been freed from hopelessness. We've been raised with Christ and our thoughts, they don't need to be stuck back on this world. Paul makes it clear to these Christians that they have so much, much, much more going for them with Christ that to be shifting their focus back to earthly things It's just plain ridiculous. Paul's urging them to see that when you've got the hope in verse 4, that's appearing with him in glory when you die, it's simply out of the question to be living as if this world is all you have and it's your first priority. When you know that heaven's waiting for you and you're going to be made perfect, there's no room for having our hearts fixed here. I mean, our lives on earth, really, they're very short. And fragile. They can be gone in a second. You can't put your trust in anything in this world. So Really, it just doesn't last. I mean, even if it lasts you your lifetime, when you die, you can't take it with you. It's foolishness to put your heart in anything of this world. But I mean, we still do it, don't we? The lifestyles, the careers, the financial security... I mean, you just got to turn the news on for the last two weeks and all it's been is bulletins on the stock market, hasn't it? How much money people are losing and the chaos that people think they're in. See, we put our hearts and minds into these things and we forget the God who's given us all these things. I mean, even the good things, relationships and stuff like that. Focus goes into them and we forget God. So you can see... There's so much more hope for those who call Christ Lord. And in light of such a great hope, what does Paul urge these Christians to do? Well, would you look at verse 8 with me? Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. See, unlike the added heading at the beginning of chapter 3, rules for holy living, being a Christian isn't living by rules at all. It's about living in response And I mean, understanding this fact is a key thing to living for Jesus. Living by rules is exactly what Paul is telling these Christians not to turn their faith into. It's like an SBS show that was on uh, quite a while ago. Uh, You might know it. Is your house killing you? What would happen is a group of scientists would come to uh, someone's house and they would check throughout the whole house looking for toxins and dangerous things that would harm the people. And at the end of their whole evaluation of the house, they would come down and sit the, the owners of the, the family down and they would present what they found. You know, they would usually um, tell the family a few things. And, you know, the family, when they would be hearing this, they would be in shock. They wouldn't believe what these people have found in their own house. And, you know, they would say, Yes, please do fix this problem please do pull the asbestos out of the bathroom, the lead paint from the roof, the vampire in little Sally's bed. Maybe not that much, but you get the picture. There's no way, if it was your house, that you'd say, thanks guys, uh, you did a good job. Thanks for letting me know about that stuff. But um, look, don't worry about it. Don't worry about fixing it. It's all right. It'll be okay. There's no big deal. We'll deal with it. I mean, that's just plain stupid. You would not do that. It's out of the question. When your eyes are open to this, you've got to do something about it. And so it is with sin. See, our bodies, they're where God dwells in and all our bodies have toxic stuff in them. Would you look at verse 8 with me again? Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed which is idolatry because of these things the wrath of God is coming see the whole reason that we need to free our lives from the immorality the impurity, the lust the evil desires, the greed the anger, the rage, the malice the slander, the filthy language and the lying and all the rest of the sin is because it's toxic it brings death It brings God judgment. And so when we've been given this new life in Christ, there's no room for leaving all that toxic stuff sitting there. But I mean, if you're like me, getting rid of the sin is frustratingly so much easier to talk about than done. And I mean, it's often the desire to get rid of it that's most lacking in the first place. I mean, are you like me that in your normal reading, you can in your Bible reading, you can read a passage like this and say to yourself, right, do this, do this, don't do that and I'll be right with God. Or are you like me that you can read a passage like this and then 10 minutes later, you're doing exactly what the passage says not to do. I mean, we're very foolish people. We have been given so much in Christ like the forgiveness of sin. Yet we live as if it costs God nothing to give us that forgiveness. And I mean, that forgiveness is beautiful. There's nothing more calming to the soul when you know you've sinned, but you also know that Jesus has already paid for that. So you and me, we need the same reminding that these people at Coloss- Colossi need. Because we are Christians too, we have our hope in Christ and we need to respond the right way too. And that's putting off sin. So so far we've seen two main points. That we have so much hope in Christ and that we need to respond by putting off sin. And there's one more point I think that we need to see from this passage. And that's this. As we keep putting off sin, we need to put on Christ. I think it's like getting changed. I mean, I assume for most of us here, uh, if we've been out in the garden or playing footy or doing something grubby, you get home, you take your old ratty clothes off, you have a shower, and then you put your new clean clothes back on. I mean, it usually works like that, unless you're in Nimmin. But, <laughs> but rarely, rarely does someone take their old clothes off and not put new clothes back on. Paul says from verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. See, putting off sin, really, it's only half the story. The other half is getting dressed to be like God. Putting on compassion, kindness, Humility, gentleness, love, forgiveness. I mean, how good is it really that the life we're meant to live is a good life? I mean, really. I think it's something we fail to thank God for enough. God, he could have demanded that we have to pray a certain amount of times a day. He could have demanded that we have to give a certain amount to him. He could have demanded this or that, made it rules. But he didn't. The two greatest commands, Jesus says, is to love God and then love others. But I mean, even this call to love, it isn't a demand, it's a response. Would you look at verse 12 with me again closely? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with all those good things mentioned. See, the point is, we don't do all these good things to be right with God. In Christ, we're already his holy, chosen and dearly loved children. We respond to God and be like God because we want to. As Christians, there's no do this and do that. And you're right with God until you stuff up again. I mean, God blew that out of the water when he sent Jesus to die for us. I mean, if you're living your life thinking you're a good person and that you deserve to be saved because you're a good bloke, you're missing the key point to Christianity. You, by yourself, you're not good. And if you think you are, you're wrong. I mean, the thing is, you may look good compared to everyone else on this earth, but that still doesn't give you enough brownie points to be right with God. I mean, God is too good to comprehend. He's so good that he killed his son... So our selfishness is washed away. And now through Jesus we can be confident before God. All our past and our future stuff-ups and sin, they're gone. They're washed away. We have an amazing God. Paul definitely knows it too. Look else what he's got to say to the Colossians about how they're to respond to Christ. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now that's a challenge, isn't it? And verse 17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God the Father through him. See, the Christian life that we're called to live, it's a good life. We've been given so much. While the world, it offers us fun for a season, in Christ we have peace and love eternity so how are you going how are you going at responding to Jesus how are you going at putting off sin and putting on Christ I mean it's quite a challenge isn't it but I thought briefly there's two things that can really help us to be doing this I think firstly meeting together as a church that's pretty important pretty important to be encouraging each other to keep doing this. And I think the other thing is like uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy he says you've got to train yourself in godliness. I think that means we've actually got to put time aside in God's word and train ourselves in it. It's a bit of a bizarre concept but I think that's another really important thing to do. And can finally can I ask how different would your life look if the peace of Christ was dwelling in you richly? How different would it look if in everything you were doing, whether word or deed, everything you were doing was for the Lord? How different would it look? I might finish by reading some of the passage that we just heard. So i just got to find where I'm up to. Here we go. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, close yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. i just pray. Our dear Lord, thanks that Uh, In you we have such a great hope that um, wipes away our sin. And Lord, help us know that we can come to you confidently. And Lord, yeah, help us to set our our hearts and our minds on things above and not on the earthly things. Lord, help us to encourage each other to do that. Amen.